0: Bismillah Rahman al-Rahim. in the name of Allah the exceedingly incredibly loving and caring the always loving and caring. A phrase that Muslims use all the time in virtually everything that we do, and is at the beginning of 113 out of 114 surahs in the Qur'an. I wanna share with you a few memorable things about this, the insights about this phrase, that'll help you appreciate what you and I are saying every time we utter bismillah ar-Rahman rahim The first of them has to do with the letter ba, which is translated in the English in the name of Allah, the in part is ba. It actually means a few things. It could mean because of the name of Allah, I'm able to do what I do. It also means that conjoined with the name of Allah, in other words, whatever I'm doing, the quality of Allah, the name of Allah, the provider, the protector, the caretaker, the guide, those names are always conjo- conjoined and it's their presence that allows me to do what I do. It also means you know, to utilize, meaning I am invoking those names of Allah, I'm invoking that quality of Allah that I need to accomplish what I'm going to do. So it's, it's this beautiful, beautiful desperation and reliance on Allah's qualities and His names that is captured inside the Ba. When you come to the word ism, which is translated in the phrase in the name of Allah, the name part, the Arabic word chosen by Allah for it, which is ism, is really interesting. On the one hand, it means something very high and elevated from Samu. What that suggests is that the names of Allah are all high and almighty. In other words, there are sometimes names of Allah that are also used for people. Now that sounds crazy, but it's true. Allah is all hearing, or the word is Samia, hearing. People can be hearing. Allah is wise, but a scholar can be wise. What's the difference? Allah's names, even if they're shared with others, they are higher. Like I'm calling on the names of Allah that are higher than ever imaginable for anybody else. But the other meaning of ism is actually a mark of beauty and something that's distinguished from wasm. And what that suggests is every single one of Allah's names is unique in a way that only can be attributed to Him. His wisdom is like nobody else's. His mercy is like nobody else's. His knowledge is like nobody else's. His creative power is like nobody else's. You know. And then once you acknowledge that, each one of those names are a mark of Allah's beauty. Allah to us is not a demanding God or a scary God. He's actually a beautiful God. Allah, in Allah, Jamilun Yuhibbul Jamal. Allah in fact Allah is beautiful and loves beauty. That's actually at the essence of who Allah is. When we say in the name of Allah, we're actually saying something very powerful, just the use of the word name. We're saying we need these qualities of Allah to accomplish what we need, what we whatever it is that we're gonna accomplish. When we get to the word Allah, a lot of people don't realize the word Allah is on the one hand the original name of Allah, and by using it, you're calling on all of his qualities all at once, but the other, some suggest that the word Allah comes from an origin, ilah or wala, which actually means to turn to somebody in desperation. It also means the object of one's intense love. It also means someone that you rely on and lean on. All of these meanings actually at the essence of the word Allah is someone that we love, that we are desperately in need of. I wake up in the morning and just a phrase just pops out of my head, out of my mouth, Bismillah rahman al As it comes out I didn't even realize how desperately in need I am of Allah's love, His mercy, His care, you know. And as I said that, I, it's, I'm transitioned over the two other names of Allah that He didn't want to leave us with. You know, you could just say Bismillah and be done with it. But no, Quran says Bismillah ir-Rahman the one who is exceedingly, overwhelmingly loving and caring and will always be that way. And in doing so, what Allah has told me is that in everything that I do, I must never forget that this is actually the essence of who Allah is to me. And this is what Allah embodies in everything that I do, that He is in fact exceedingly loving, caring, and merciful, and is always going to be that way for me. This is at the core of who God is to us as Muslims, And what defines, this is why it's, by the way, it's at the beginning of every surah Because it's like these shades you put on, once you put on shades Everything is shaded in that color, right? Once you read a surah, you have to read it once you put the shades of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim on In other words, you're invoking Allah as the most loving and caring one And then studying a chapter of the Qur'an or a part of the Qur'an Therefore, you can never look at it as an expression of Allah's anger Or His wrath or things like that All of it has to be interpreted and seen as, as a manifestation of His love, care, and mercy. May Allah really make us people who enjoy the beauty and the power of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in everything that we do. Barakallahu li wa lakum, alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, all praise and gratitude belongs to Allah, the Master of all peoples and all nations. Who of us doesn't have problems? We are suffering from them all the time, sometimes within our families, personally, sometimes it's health issues, money issues. There are political crises that people are going through, military crises that people are going through. There's no shortage of catastrophe in human life, whether it's our personal lives or the things we see around the world. But the Qur'an forces us to take a different view of things. It begins with Alhamdulillah, praise and gratitude, two very distinct things. On the one hand, we have to find things that we can praise Allah for. And the, on the other hand, we have to find things that we can thank Allah for. And these two things, they don't normally go hand in hand. Something you praise, like a beautiful car, or a house, or a city, or a great weather, that's something you praise. But that's not necessarily something you thank. And on the other hand, it could be someone who's not worthy of any thanks, you know, or, or rather, not, rather not worthy of any praise, and you thank them. Some, someone who's a terrible human being still did you a favor, you're still gonna thank them, you owe them thanks That even happened in the Qur'an You know the, the, the father of Ibrahim salam used to build idols for a living But he's his dad, he raised him So he actually acknowledges the fact that he raised him, he's grateful to his dad But he's not gonna praise his dad for what he does, right? So those are two very different things When it comes to Allah, praise and gratitude go hand in hand, which makes the Muslim a perpetual optimist we're actually optimists by faith. We're always looking for things to praise Allah for and thank Allah for. And that's why we can't cloud our minds with things that are going wrong in life. That's, and that stems from just the phrase that we say all the time, Alhamdulillah. It's incredible that that's the beginning of the Qur'an. It shapes the view of our entire religion and the entire relationship we have with Allah. And then after that, what is it that we're praising Him for? What is it that we're thanking Him for? If He gave me life every day, I should thank the one who gives life or praise the one who gives life. If He's given me guidance, I should thank Al-Hadi, the one who gives me guidance. But we say Alhamdulillah. Praise belongs not to the guide or the giver of life or the giver of wisdom or any of those. We say praise and thanks belongs to Allah. That's important because now we're saying all of Allah's qualities, all of the things He does, the ones I can think of and the ones I can't even think of are all summed up only in one word. And that word is Allah. And that's why we use that word. It's like we're acknowledging to Allah that there are things that we can't even think of that we have to be optimistic about and praiseworthy about. You know it's so easy to think about your problems and it's so hard to think about things to be grateful for. But Qur'an is actually changing your and my thinking about the subject and it really is for our better. Because the more grateful we become, لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ Allah says, I'll give you more and more and more and more. Allah will actually solve your problems not when you lament over your problems, but when you become grateful over the things that you do in fact have. Then He says "Rabbil alamin." Now what are, what's about Allah, What's the first thing you should know? You should know that He's your master and He's the master of all peoples and all nations. The thing about being a master is the masters on the one hand that would make you and me the slave. But being a slave is not a fun thing. It's something that's forced on somebody. It's an act of oppression. If somebody's a slave, they can't wait to be free. I don't want to be a slave. But this is a unique kind of slave because before he introduced you, he didn't say, you know you better thank your authority your you know the master who's forcing it on you and he's going to punish you if you don't listen the first things we learned about him he's ar-rahman ar-rahim when we said bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim he's overwhelmingly loving caring and merciful with no strings attached and he's always going to be that way then we learned that praise and gratitude are genuinely worthy of him And He is Allah, and it's as though I arrive at the conclusion that I'm not going to be a slave to money, I'm not going to be a slave to my own temptations, I'm not going to be a slave to anyone or anything else, I'm not going to be a slave to my cultural standards or the the latest trends, I'm going to decide to be a slave to Allah. Out of that love and adoration that I have for Him, that praise and that gratitude I have for Him, that's what's going to bring me to Allah with humility. Not a forceful God, but a loving one that that draws on that relationship because of your love and appreciation of him and then he says that that love and appreciation is not for one nation it's al alamin it's all nations all ethnicities all languages all cultures all economic backgrounds all you know all languages it's across everybody on this planet allah is rabb to all of them His praise and his gratitude is felt by all of them. His mercy and his love is open to all of them. So the Qur'an opens with this universal declaration to all of humanity. May Allah make us a people who really feel the power of Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen every time we say it. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the incredibly extremely always and beyond imagination merciful, loving and caring. Ar-Rahim, the one who's always loving and caring. These two words together form a very interesting combination. They both have to do with love, care and mercy. The first thing I'd like to share with you is a lot of translations use the word mercy for them. Uh, I don't particularly jo- enjoy the word mercy as the first translation of these words because in the English language, the word mercy has a lot to do with being spared. Like the, sh- the soldiers showed them no mercy, like they didn't spare them. Or somebody goes before a judge and says, please show me mercy, which means please spare me. So the idea is some kind of punishment was coming, and it was kind of inevitable, and somehow you averted that punishment and you were shown mercy. That is actually not at the core of the meaning of rahmah, the word that is at the root of both ar-Rahman and ar-Rahim. What it fundamentally goes back to is actually the womb of a mother, Rahm. And that's actually even described by Allah Himself, that He talks to the womb of the mother and says, I named you after, I named you after myself. In other words, when, now think about the womb of a mother. There's a baby inside, the mother goes through all of the troubles, the mother goes through all of the caretaking, the baby has no idea that it's completely enveloped in the love and care of this mother. And this child, as they grow, all they do is cause the mother pain all they do is make her life more difficult, and all she does in return is to love the baby even more. And that's some glimpse of the kind of love, care, and concern Allah has for you and me. And then he captures that with two words, not just one, one wasn't enough. He says, Ar-Rahman, and then he says, Ar-Rahim. You know, the first of them, Ar-Rahman suggests that that love and care is extreme, and that it's coming immediately, you don't have to wait for it. And then the scary part of it, that it's not going to be forever that it's there but it's not there forever which is why some companions of the Prophet interpreted this as, this is God's mercy and His love and His care in this world that extends to everybody. The atheist, the one who hates God, the Christian, the Jew, the pagan, the you know the Hindu, the Buddhist, any, any religion or no religion at all, the devil worshipper, they're all going to get Allah's love, care and mercy in this world. They're just going to get it, because He's Ar-Rahman. But then the one that's going to last forever is in the next life, that's Ar-Rahim. But there's something else going on here that I'd like to quickly share with you. If you and I are going through a problem, and somebody comes to me and says, Don't worry, Allah is is merciful. You're like, Yeah, I know, but I wish He was being merciful right now. Like, where's His mercy right now? Where's His love and care right now? Allah says that it's coming right now, and that's why He put the word Ar-Rahman first. It's there first to let you know that it's coming and it's there immediately. It's not something you have to wait for, and it's not going to be held back from you. It's just not on your terms. It's not like the way you defined it. He has a much more, much wider grasp of what it means to show you love, care, and mercy beyond what you and I can grasp. And then, once you're taken care of in the immediate sense, you start thinking, what about the future though? Is it always going to be there? And that's answered with the word ar-Rahim, the one who's always loving, caring, and merciful. As I was learning about Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, I came across a really insightful phrase from a scholar who was reflecting on how to encompass his understanding of Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And he starts by saying that I really can't contain it within my imagination. Because when I try to put imagery to Ar-Rahman, the intense immediately coming down loving mercy of Allah, its intensity reminds me of an ocean that has high waves that are crashing and it's powerful and it's in motion, you know, like like the word Ar-Rahman. And when I think of Ar-Rahim where the mercy of Allah is constant and always, it makes me think of the calm ocean, the settled ocean. And he said, just like I can't imagine this intense ocean with the waves coming and crashing and this calm ocean at the same time, how is it that Allah is both Ar-Rahman and ar rahim at the same time? That is beyond my imagination, subhanAllah. And so that's really something that gives us a pause to think whenever we think there's a limit, or there's somehow that we can imagine what it means that Allah loves us, or that Allah cares for us, or that Allah is merciful to us, that really we have to acknowledge that it's far, far beyond our imagination. And what tells us that more than anything else is the words Ar-Rahman and Ar-Raheem. Maliki Ma لِكِ Owner and King of the Day of Judgment This phrase is actually lots of things at the same time, let's break it down and package it so that you can process not only what's happening here, but how it connects to what came before. So let's start with that. We just talked about how merciful and loving and caring Allah is, but if that, that's all Allah was, it's easy to take advantage. I used to be a teacher, And when I first started in that profession I thought I'll just be the best friend to my students I'll just make jokes with them and never impose any authority on them There are no consequences for messing up I'll just crack jokes and be, you know, be the class clown and all of it And that goes, and they loved me for it But as soon as I asked them to do some homework or some classwork They said, no, we're not going to do it Because they always thought that I'm going to be the nice guy And I don't have the capacity to ever hold them accountable for their actions If you really want to have a healthy relationship uh, in any, any of those relationships where there is an authority, like Allah is an authority, on the one hand, the premise on which it begins is love, care and mercy. But if that's all there is, then human beings tend to take advantage. What deluded you from taking advantage of the nobility of your master, right? So if you don't think there's going to be any consequences, nobody would stop at red lights anymore, and nobody would abide by the law anymore. So Allah balances His mercy by saying, there's a day when judgment is coming, and He owns that day, and He's the king of that day. The quick next thing I want to talk to you about is those two words I keep using, owner and king. Those are very different things. I own small things like a pen, or I own something like a car, or I own something like a house. But I'm not the king of my car Kingdom is for large, large things so There's this micro picture of ownership And there's this macro picture of kingdom And the word Malik and Malik inc- incorporate both of them That's important because when judgment day begins There are some huge things that are going to happen The sun and the moon are going to crash into each other The earth is going to get flattened right? The legions of angels are going to descend All of humanity is going to be held on trial That is the scene for a king to bring his entire subjects to account that's the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, every single person is being dealt with individually as though Allah is their personal owner. And that individual scene of every single deed being accounted for, that's when He is taking the role of owner. And both of them are captured at the same time. Then you just ponder over what Allah said here, it's so amazing. Allah said He's not just the owner of judgment or the king of judgment, He's the king of the day of judgment, يوم الدين. and. The idea of day is it's a piece of time, it's a unit of time. You and I can never own time. I can't own one minute or one second, I can't. Because no matter how wealthy I am, how healthy I am, how young or old I am, I can live in time, but I certainly can't own it. Because everything that's happening inside of time is beyond me. There's so many things happening all over the universe, within that one second, that are beyond my control. Allah says, declares His ownership over all things, in a way that no exception is left, by taking ownership of time itself. And then finally He adds the word ad-deen, which is judgment. And deen comes from the Arabic, the way you deal with people is how you will be dealt with. It is a day where everybody's gonna get their fair share. If somebody was shortchanged, it's gonna be fulfilled. Every debit is gonna be credited, every credit is gonna be debited. Everything's gonna get balanced out. First Allah said He's incredibly merciful, then He said He's gonna t- treat everybody fairly. Those don't go hand in hand, and so we have to reconcile that really quickly. A judge who's always fair is gonna be harsh. And a judge who's merciful is gonna let people go. How is Allah both of these things? The way to reconcile that is to understand that Allah is only going to be loving, caring, merciful and lenient to people who are afraid of His judgment. People who forget about His judgment, People who forget that they're gonna be standing trial in front of him and don't care about that, they are not worthy of Allah's leniency. So your attitude towards Allah now will determine how much worthy of his love, care, and leniency you are. It is gonna have to be a balance between both of those things. We're not gonna be we're not gonna lose hope in the love and mercy of Allah, and at the same time, we're not gonna be oblivious to the punishment or the the, the consequences of our deeds. It's only the responsible that are only that are going to have a healthy relationship with Allah. May Allah Make us of the responsible in light of Maliki wa We enslave ourselves to and worship only and only you, and we seek only and only your aid. This phrase is the middle of the Fatiha, and in this phrase, there's a huge transition happening. Up until now, you were talking or we were listening about Allah. Praise and gratitude belongs to Allah, the master of all peoples and all nations the exceedingly loving, caring, and merciful, the always loving, caring, and merciful, the master of the day, and the owner of the day, and the king of the day of judgment. This was all about Allah. But all of a sudden, we come into the picture, and not only are we talking about Allah, no, 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 we're talking to Allah. We're telling Him, we are ready to become your slaves. We're ready to worship you. This is the Qur'an's way of telling us that there's no choice but to engage Allah in conversation. The Qur'an compels every one of its readers to actually talk to Allah, not just about Allah. Our God is not some abstract being that we speak of as a subject, but actually someone we engage in conversation with. The other beautiful thing here is that we engage in conversation with Him together, suggesting that we cannot be in worship to Allah, and we don't really know what it means to truly be in slavery to Allah if we don't help one another and do this together. Believers need to be in a community, come together and engage in this service to Allah جل, and to make that declaration. The other beautiful thing that I find just absolutely fascinating here is that that you learned enough about Allah, you learned these beautiful things Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman ar Maliki Umid You learned this stuff, and this stuff compelled you, and it got inside you so much That it brought this out of you, that you turned to Allah and you all said We are ready to be your slaves, Master. We are ready to be in worship of you You made this declaration to Allah. Allah didn't say here, therefore worship me Like I'm all of these awesome things, therefore worship me. That would have been Allah speaking, and He would be commanding us. It is actually us that declare this to Him. It's a voluntary thing. And that's incredible, because slavery in any other context is never voluntary. And in this case, you volunteered. It's it's unique. You cannot compare the slavery to Allah to anyone else. The other beautiful thing here, and a unique thing to think about, is there's a big difference between service and slavery. When you join a service, like a job, then it's clear what your job description is and actually you only join that service because you're qualified to do that work, right? The job description is clear ahead of time. But slavery is something else. Slavery is whatever the master says you're gonna do. That is your job description. And that entirely depends on what that master wants from you at that given time. When we declare ourselves slaves to Allah, ready to worship Him and our slave, enslave our will to Him, then we're actually saying that whatever you say we're willing to do. We've given ourselves up before you, you decide what's best for us. And we don't even know how to do it. And that's why we beg to Allah, إِيَّا We are in desperate need of your help. We can't even fulfill this declaration we just made without your help. You're so incredible. Yes, I've been oblivious to you all this time. Now I'm ready to make my commitment to you, but I can't do it on my own. We're all gonna just come and beg you for help to do the work that we're supposed to do for you to begin with. In this ordering, there's another gorgeous thing. To me, this is one of the most beautiful insights about <laughs> The first part is what you're gonna do for Allah. You're gonna enslave yourselves to Him. You're gonna worship Him. And the second part is what's He gonna do for you. We are seeking your help. I want His help in everything that I do, don't I? Well, Allah is teaching us a formula You want Allah's help? You show Him what your commitment is first This is the reverse of everything we've learned so far Everything so far was Allah is worthy of praise and gratitude Regardless of who I am or what I do Allah is exceedingly merciful And His judgment will come But that's at the end on judgment day So so far He's just giving and giving and giving and giving And, giving. and now I realize as a person of conscience I should do something I mean He's done so much for me What am I doing? And so before I can even get myself to ask him, at least let me show him that I'm making some effort to come towards him. I am enslaving myself to you, and therefore I see myself in a position to ask for your help. The last beautiful thing I want to share with you about this is when you ask for his help. You know, every time you ask somebody for help, you're supposed to be specific. Hey, could you help me get a glass of water? Could you help me change the flat tire? Could you help me with this or could you help me with that? When we ask Allah for help here, we didn't say in what? Help me what? We didn't qualify it. And you know why that is? Because there's, the list is way too long. We need His help in everything. From starting from how to be a slave of Allah, We need His help in our families. We need His help with our own personal decisions. We need His help with just, you know, carrying our lives day to day. We need His help in virtually every matter. So it's so desperate that we just call out for help without even specifying what the help is for. I pray that we are able to fulfill that commitment that we have made to Allah, that we will come to Him in worship and slavery. And we pray that every time we ask Allah for His help, that His help descends immediately. Barakallahu li wa lakum. al الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Guide us to, through, and along the straight path. This profound statement begins with a plea to Allah to guide us. And that guide us is actually two things at the same time. If you take note of the previous ayah, we made two declarations to Allah. We, we are ready to be your slaves and we need your help. Those are the two essential things, right? Well the first act of a slave is to find out what the master wants So guide us is actually our first declaration as slaves Ya Allah, you can, you're gonna tell us what to do now because we're your slaves So guide us And on the other hand, when we ask Allah for help The ultimate help you can get from Allah, the greatest help that solves all the other problems in your life Is guidance So it, it's actually a completion of both those things that came before We're ready to be your slaves and help us Well how will we be your slaves? By your guidance And how will you help us? by your guidance. That's why إِهْدِنَةً is important. It's also beautiful that we asked Allah for guidance not just for me, alone, we asked for guidance for all of us. It's like we're concerned for the people around us when we made this prayer. We're concerned for our cousins, our uncles, our neighbors, our, you know, our friends, our family, people around us. It, it wasn't selfish when we asked for guidance. So that's the beauty of the words إِهْدِنَةً. And if you go a little bit forward, you find إِهْدِنَ sirata, Guide us to the path. That path, that road, the word sirat is used for a road that's jet, that's completely straight, there are no turns. Which means this road, you know, it's hard to get to, but once you're on it, it's very clear to see where it's headed. There's no confusion left, there's no confusion, confusing turns or you know, uh, unexpected complications on this road. It's very clear. You know, it's it's not that people don't get off this path because somehow they got confused. They get off this path because something else pulled them into a wrong direction. And the other amazing thing about sirat, the fact that it's a straight road but it's also a wide road, which goes back to guide us. Because a wide road is only beneficial if a lot of people are going to travel on it, right? And what what really fascinates me is the word sirat already means straight path. But the Arabic word al-sirat al-mustaqeem, because we say idina al-sirat al-mustaqeem, the word al-mustaqeem actually means, also translates into straight. But what's commonly not captured in the English translation is the word mustaqeem comes from qama which means straight up. You're asking for a road and the image of that road is you're heading upwards. Which means you're leaving your lowly habits behind. You're leaving worldly materialism behind. You're leaving some of your selfishness behind. You're leaving things that kept you low behind. And as you travel this road, you're constantly moving up. But the challenge with moving up is, gravity is always gonna be pulling at you. It's always gonna be pulling down towards you. You're asking Allah for a, a road that clearly demands struggle. If you're going on a road that's flat, or it's heading downhill, gravity will do the work for you. But if you're heading on a road that goes upwards, Gravity is working against you. You're being pulled back towards this world. Here you are on a road towards Allah, and there are things in this world that just wanna suck you back in, right? And so you're asking Allah for that road. The last thing I wanna share with you here, my favorite part of this ayah, is you're supposed to, whenever you ask for directions, you ask directions for a destination. Could you guide me to the airport? Could you guide me to the university? Could you guide me to the home, your address? You never ask for guidance to a road. We asked Allah for guidance to a path Why not just ask Him for heaven itself? Guide me to heaven That's the destination, right? Guide me to you But Allah says, guide me to the road This is one of the most beautiful things about this ayah Why? Because once you are guided to a road You are telling people And you're telling yourself I'm gonna be at a different part of this road Somebody else is gonna be on a different part of this road Some people are gonna be walking fast Some people are gonna be super slow Some people are gonna be on rocket speeds And that's okay So long as we're on the road You know, if it was destination, everybody's failed until they reach the destination. But if it's a road, so long as somebody's on that road, and some people are far ahead, and some people are far behind, and that's completely okay, because they're still on this journey. In doing so, Allah has acknowledged that not all of us are the same level. Some people have a much more difficult life, and even them taking one step on this road is huge. And for some other people, a thousand steps are no big deal. And none of them should compare themselves to each other and say, "Man, this one's so much better than I am. I should be like them." No, no, no. So long as you're on the road, you're okay. There's an incredible bit of hope inside of the words mustaqim May Allah help us fulfill that and guide us not only to this road, but along this road and all the way to the end of this road, which leads to Him. Barakallahu alaikum. صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ عَلَيْهِمْ The path of those you showered favor onto, not, that, not of those who are recipients of rage, who deserve rage, nor of the lost. This is a complicated phrase, but a really, really beautiful one. The first contrast I'd like to make is, this is the second reference to the path, the road. The previous ayah already said, guide us to through and along the straight path. That ayah described the nature of the path and how it's heading upwards. Now it's describing previous passengers on this path. There are people, please Ya Allah, the same road that so many others that came before us have already traversed. But the way he described those people is not amazing people, rather people who you made this path easy for. It was already alluded to before that this road is not an easy one to take because it heads upward and it's straightforward, which means it's easy to attack. And yet there are people who previously in the past were successful in traversing this road their entire lives. And the way that that's described is, you made ease for them, you showered them with blessings, an'amta alayhim. The word ananta comes from nu'uma, which means softness and ease and comfort. In other words, we are telling Allah, Ya Allah, we already told you, you will guide us, but we need your help. Even if you'd show me this road, go on ahead, I can't do it on my own, it's way too hard. You're gonna have to make it easy for me, just like you did for the people before me. As amazing as they were, if you didn't make that road easy for them, they wouldn't have been able to do it. And so there's, this, there's an acknowledgement of effort on my part, but also a dependence and a reliance on Allah on the other part. Right, so that's anamta The other important, important acknowledgement here is Allah mentions that the people that you want to look to, that you want to mimic, are people in the past. People that are living right now, they may be good role models, but things can change. They might fall into temptation. They're not there at the destination yet. There are some people who traveled this road, graduated, and Allah mentioned them in the Qur'an and described them as successful you know, travelers of this road, those are the examples we asked for, and that's why the Qur'an is full of those examples, of those amazing, amazing people, and what they did, and how they did, so that we can learn from their their journey, and then that will inspire our own journey. But on the other hand, there are two other roads, and that's often not thought about. There are actually three roads. There's the right one, and there's two wrong ones. Ya Allah, make sure you don't let us get on the path of people who are worthy of anger. A lot of translations say worthy of your anger The path of those, not the path of those who received your rage Or who received your wrath The word your isn't even there in the Arabic It shouldn't be translated that way It's talking about people who deserve that anger should be directed at them Who are these people? Simply speaking, these are people who go on the wrong road While they fully know that this is the right one And that's the wrong one And they choose the wrong one knowingly, deliberately anyway When someone commits a crime, knowing that it's a crime, then obviously they're going to be recipients of anger by those around them. And Allah doesn't limit where the anger comes from, because anger might come to them on the Day of Judgment from others who they misled, from the angels, it may come from Allah, it's not limited, right? And so on the one hand, Allah made it easy for good people, and those who He's angry at, He's so angry He didn't even mention His name next to them. He just mentions that they are worthy of anger. And we don't want to be from those people who know the wrong thing and still do it anyway. That's what we're asking Allah for here. But that's not enough, that's one bad road to not get on. What's the other one? وَلَضَّالِينَ Nor the lost. I don't translate that as nor the misguided, I don't think that's the right translation. Because when you say misguided, it makes it sound like somebody else misguided you. Here we're asking Allah, Ya Allah, I don't want to be among the lost. I want you to remember that the lost are two kinds. There are people who just genuinely, they're looking around, trying to find their way and they can't, like somebody lost in the desert. And there's somebody else who you say, hey, I've got some directions for you. He says, no thanks, I'd rather not know. I don't even want to be held responsible once I know. Those are the two kinds of lost people. Ya Allah, don't make me of those who wander aimlessly. Don't leave me hanging. That's one thing you're saying to Allah. Ya Allah, guide me because I genuinely want to know. And don't make me from the kind of foolish people who when guidance does come to them, they say, no, 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 wait, 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 don't, don't, don't tell me, don't tell me. Because once I know, then I'll be responsible. I would rather remain lost. I would rather not know at all. No, don't, be, don't make us from those people, Ya Allah, make us from those who not only get on this road that heads upwards, but that you make it easy for them to get on that road. What a profound conclusion to this prayer, this, this, this relationship between me and you and Allah. On the one hand, He is all of those amazing things in the beginning of the surah, and by the end we're saying Ya Allah, invoking all of those names, we are telling Allah, Ya Allah, without you we cannot get on this journey. May Allah help us embark on this journey and see it through all the way to the end like those who He showered His mercy upon before. BarakAllahu li wa